The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Coming up on Money Beat, the shopping spree by Chinese buyers continues. And Valiant reports. Charlie Grant and Maureen Farrell give us a breakdown. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Everything you need to know about money and the markets, and then some. Hello, and welcome to the Money Beat podcast. I'm Steve Grosser. I'm joined by Dana Similuka, the WSJ's deals editor, global deals editor, right? Is that correct? Uh, not entirely clear. Okay. And everyone's favorite deals blogger, Maureen Farrell, and later we'll be joined by Charlie Grant. But first of all, you know, what we got on got this morning was a whole lot of Chinese companies doing more shopping in the U.S. And this one it could go down as the biggest deal of a Chinese company buying a U.S. company on record. Uh, can you break down, like, sort of what's going on with Starwood and Enbang? Yeah, so, um, you know, we, we had a relatively quiet Monday, again, as far as M&A goes, except for this very large uh, bid that the Anbang of China, as you said, has now put in for Starwood, which, of course, already had a deal to be acquired by Marriott. Now, this bid is for $13 billion. It's bigger than the existing deal that's on the table. And, of course, it comes just days after we learned that Anbang is doing another fairly sizable deal. It has agreed now to buy um, a portfolio of hotels from Blackstone just you know within the last few days. Another deal, uh, a big one, worth $6.5 billion, including debt. So basically, um, you have a continuation of this eye-popping trend we've seen so far this year of Chinese companies really going on a major shopping spree here and elsewhere outside of China. And it's, it's it, Maureen, you put up a post this morning. It's actually at a record, right? The yep. amount of companies, the uh, U.S. companies, Chinese companies have bought. Exactly. We actually hit the record the seventh week of the year when we saw this big deal for Ingram Micro, a bid made for them by a Chinese company. Um, so now we're that much further ahead, but the numbers are really staggering. I mean, 2015 was the largest year on record for Chinese companies buying U.S. companies. And that was double 2014, and now we're well, well above 2015 levels already, and it's only March. And what a lot of these deals in the U.S. and Chinese, you know, Chinese companies trying to make a bid for U.S. companies, they've run into problems oftentimes for security issues. This is a hotel deal. Are there security issues here? Do you, do we think they're going to run into problems? Good question. I mean, first of all, whether there are security issues, are there? Or, or whether there aren't isn't necessarily uh, the question these <laughs> days, given how politicized the whole environment is. But so far, the conventional wisdom, <clears throat> at least from some people that are close to this situation, is that this deal shouldn't have as much trouble as some others, in part because uh, Anbang uh, also less than two years ago made another very high-profile purchase of the Waldorf Astoria. And the thinking goes that if they were able to do that, they ought to be able to do this, too. And also, just embedded in your question is the assumption that, uh, that makes a lot of sense, which is, you know, why – what's the strategic significance of hotels? But again, 
to go back to what I was saying, the process of things, these deals getting approved, uh, in particular by CFIUS, you know, which is the big authority on these things, is very opaque, and you never know in the end what they're going to decide. And, and the Waldorf was sort of known for being where world leaders would come and stay when they were in New York. And so U.S. presidents, yeah. always, historically. So that was, that was sort of a concern. The other thing, too, is this is obviously a hostile, uh, not a hostile, but they're trying to top, you know, uh, break up Marriott's bid for Starwood. What, what are their chances here? Um, do, they, do they have a pretty good chance of getting in the way of Marriott's bid? I get the sense that they do. Um, first of all, they're offering all cash. The bid that's on the table is cash and stock, and it's lost value because uh, Marriott's stock has lost value, presumably. Um, the only real grounds you could think of that Starwood would have to say no to this thing is if they think there's a very good chance that they get an agreement and then regulators shoot it down. Now, based upon what I just said, it seems like there's a decent chance they'll come to the conclusion that that's a risk they can bear, especially if they're able to get the the Chinese to concede to a big breakup fee, which you would imagine they would. One of the, one of the things I think that was interesting in, in Maureen's post was just the number of unsolicited bids we've already seen. Uh, we've seen in the last sort of 12 months, I guess, from Chinese companies for U.S. companies that, you know, they're, you know, they're getting more aggressive mm-hmm. in, in their, you know, shopping. Why is that? I, I don't have the clear sense. I mean, I, all we have is really this track record of seeing this and it coming in. I mean, a lot of this has been in semiconductor deals. Some, In some cases, they've gone through, and obviously that's different, as you explained. I mean, these are chip, computer chip makers. The CFIUS has been a real concern. So in some cases, we've seen the buyers balk at it and say, like, no, we're going to go with our existing um, deal. You, even though you have a higher bid, we think there are going to be regulatory concerns, and this might not pass muster with regulators. Um, so that's been a different, but I mean, it just, I, I think it basically just speaks to how aggressive they're willing to be right now. And just, you know, it's quiet in China, the M&A environment. They're having a hard time finding growth. So they're willing to come out and out of the gates and swing big. Yeah. I mean, presumably they've, they've learned, they've been, they've been at this for a long time. Yeah. I mean, remember when, when was it that, um, that CNUC tried to buy Unical. That's got to that's be coming up I think that was on. 2005, too, right? Yeah, Two, so that's, that's over a decade. That's over a decade. So presumably they've been learning. Um, and, you know, with the probably, you know, with experience, uh, they get bolder. And then, as Maureen alluded to, there's, there's the domestic situation in China, which nobody knows exactly how, but uh, on some level is probably pushing them to look for deals outside the country. You know, something to do with the economy slowing, something to do with an expectation that the currency will weaken further. I mean, the big question that we would love to answer here is, um, is this all part of some grand design? In other words, did some very small group of very powerful people in China at some point recently decide, okay, we're really going to go great guns on this kind of thing? Or is it more organic? Is it just that there's a number of factors that are, uh, you know, in place now that are just simultaneously causing a lot of people to try to do the same thing? Because it's also not just the U.S. Yeah, I mean, we focused thing. on the U.S., but the biggest deal is actually for Syngenta, which is a, it's a 40, uh, $44 billion deal. 40 roughly. plus, yeah. Yeah. And that's a Swiss company. Um, and so, I mean, they, they, they're there and they're in. As your post pointed out, Maureen, they're also, I think, just past $100 billion and are about to top 
um, you know, the, the record for a full year of, uh, you know, outbound M&A activity. I'll tell you one thing I had actually just been wondering within the last few days is, is one reason why we're seeing all this, that we had all this market turmoil at the beginning of the year, and the Chinese have a big checkbook, right? Not just some of the companies themselves, but also you got to figure the government stands behind some of these companies. And that's that's one competitive advantage the Chinese often have in auctions, is they can write big checks. So as the bottom fell out of the markets over the first couple of months of the year, and there was a lot of concern, the M&A market seemed like it was slowing down, were they able to take advantage of that because they could write big checks? And I was actually thinking, I wonder if as a result of that, we're going to look back six months from now, if the recovery continues, and say, oh, that was just a temporary thing in the first couple of months of the year. Well, I have to say, waking up this morning and seeing this deal and then the other one over the weekend, maybe not. Maybe it just continues. No, I mean, I remember like there was a few years ago that Lehman Brothers, like it was, you know, um, or there was a Malaysian bank that beat out like Lehman Brothers and all this. This was before, obviously, Lehman's collapse for rankings in the league tables. But that was in the first month. I mean, now we're getting to the point where like some of those weird you know, sort of one-off deals that you see in the first month of a year, no longer, you know, sort of skewing things. And the fact that, you know, China's really the the engine of this year of the M&A market is, is surprising, I think. No, it's, if you think about it, we're, we're, Maureen will know better than I, but we're, are, we can't be more than a trillion of M&A so far this year, okay? It's probably still measured in the hundreds of billions. China's already at... Uh, at over a hundred billion, what does that mean? It's like a significant percentage of all yeah. the deals. I think that's a good place to take a break. Uh, coming up next, we'll have Charlie Grant and Maureen. We'll stick around to discuss. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. That's Valiant. I'm John Wardock. Want updates on the biggest stories of the day? Then listen to What's News from the Wall Street Journal. From top business stories... Apple says if they weaken the security of their phones, they make their customers' data more vulnerable. To the economy... I think American consumers are uh, alive and doing well. To election 2016... Today's a big day in presidential politics, obviously. It's the day of the New Hampshire primary. Check back several times a day and enjoy What's News... From the Wall Street Journal. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Hello and welcome back to the Money Bee Podcast. Maureen Farrell still with us. And now we welcome Charlie Grant into the studio. And there's a simple reason you're both here. You guys have been covering this for I don't know how long it's been going on. It feels like forever. But um, Valiant is going to give uh, you know investors actual numbers. Not... You know, official numbers, but numbers. <laughs> we'll take any kind of update we can get, Steve. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be too greedy. I don't know if investors want to be too greedy. Now, so can you guys just give me an idea of what investors should expect um, tomorrow? Um, Steve, I would love to, but that is a huge open question. Um, Valiant was supposed to report fourth quarter results on February 29th. Um, the night before, they announced that CEO and chairman Mike Pearson would be back after a two-month leave of absence, effective immediately. But they also postponed earnings until tomorrow. Um, so we're still waiting for that. Also, on on February 28th, they announced that previously given guidance was withdrawn. 
So Wall Street is walking into tomorrow's event pretty much blind. Um, so there's a lot of excitement and anticipation for this event since it's been about five months since we've heard from them. <laughs> and Charlie makes a good point. I mean, they're in a position where, you know, they can say a lot. They can say not very much. I mean, we don't we don't have guidance. Will they bring it back out? What will, what will we learn about Mr. Pearson's plans? I mean, we're not going to have a 10K for a long time. These are unaudited fourth quarter financials. They're restating earnings. I mean, there's so many question marks. How many of those are they going to really fill in? And how many will they just say, we, we don't have time. Mr. Pearson just came back. Um, we can't answer these questions yet. That's yeah, too much and I'm, I, don't, I don't get the sense that investors are expecting a pretty picture. And it's possible that Valiant, just by giving investors more information than they've been giving, even if it's not good information, could help out its stock a little bit just because, because investors are so starved for news and are just trying to figure out any way to make sense of this company. Um, the stock is down about 70% from its peak, so there is plenty of room for improvement if – uh, if the message starts to improve, how do I mean? Sort of take me back a little bit, you know, for listeners who aren't sort of haven't spent <laughs> as much time with Valiant as we all have. How do we get to this sort of point? Uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, this is not. <laughs> Very usual for a company at all. Sure. So Valiant um, became one of the most important pharma companies in the world and an absolute darling on Wall Street um, through pursuing a new kind of growth model. And that was buying business, existing businesses, um, cutting out research and development spending that it used to call wasteful, um, and buy, buy older drugs um, at cheap prices where they thought there was value. Um, often that would also mean substantially raising the prices, prices. of their drugs. Um, in October, um, the Southern Investigative Reporting Foundation discovered uh, that Valiant had been funneling sales through a specialty pharmacy who's, that they owned or had an option to acquire right. for zero um, dollars. Um, and that uh, had never been disclosed in Valiant's financial statements. Um, that set off this huge uproar and uh, resulted in a lot of the stock price declines. Um, and now Valiant is being forced because of scrutiny uh, around its old business model to change the way it does business. So we have not gotten an update of what that new business model will look like yet. One of the reasons why tomorrow is such a big deal. And one one other piece of the backstory that you mentioned was, I mean, these jacking up these prices of drugs. I mean, that really started over the late summer. I mean, we saw Martin Shrelly of Turing buying up that yep. one yes. drug and, you know, kind of gleefully saying that he raised the price. And it really set off a firestorm in the public, all this public Hillary outcry. Clinton. Hill, yeah, Hillary Clinton's tweet saying, like, you, we can't let this go on. So I think, and, and, the Wa- been, and the Wall Street Journal reported back exactly. last April yeah. that Valiant was buying up older drugs and um, – at raising the prices dramatically. One of those drugs, uh, Isoprel, I believe, um, they bought in the early part of the first quarter, like in uh, in 2015, from a company called Marathon. And Isoprel ended up being the best-selling drug of Valiant in that quarter, despite not being in the business portfolio for the entire three months. Um, so that, that became... So now the question is, you know, what, now that that model... Uh, now that people have found out about that model and understandably not too pleased about... Um, well, I mean, works. I, I mean, the answer to the question is, I mean, their their very business model is under attack, and it looks like it's going to be crimped for you know the foreseeable future. You know, how much is that going to impact? You think their results 
tomorrow and just in the future going forward? Um, it's hard to say what tomorrow will hold, but I think it's I think it's going to be a hard climb for them. Um, they uh, they have to show that their drugs that they can sell these drugs at lower prices um, and build up patient loyalty. Um, their research and development program they have older drugs that they've bought from other. Um, companies, other candidates, but a lot of these drugs are being sold because uh, these big pharma companies didn't want them. Right. Um, they bought Addy, which is known as a women's uh, libido pill, in August, and we're getting the first official sales report of that um, tomorrow, in all likelihood. But by all indications, those sales have been dismal. And Valiant spent a billion dollars um, in cash on that. It's cash they'll need. Yeah. Um, so that's you know that's an issue. Um, because, I mean, you look at it, too. Like, the other problem, in you know, with Valiant right now isn't just, like, you know, the, all the publicity, their business model under attack and having to change, but also the $29 billion in debt. I believe exactly. it's $29 it's, it's, Yeah, well, we'll get an, an official figure. Um, it, long-term debt was just over $30 billion 30 in September. Billion. But, but that, that figure is likely moved. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know what, what that is just yet. And they don't have – I mean, presumably they don't have the access to the capital markets to make these acquisitions. And that had been – I mean, that's another critical part right. of the business model. And I mean, they've said they're going to slow down. Maybe here and there they would buy some. But, yeah. again, another question is what does Valiant look like if it's just not buying up all these new companies and it can't, or selling them maybe at this point? Yeah, I mean, their debt is deep into junk ratings. Um, Moody's has placed them under review for downgrade. And, I mean, you can use stock to buy to buy companies, of course, but would you really do that when your stock is 70% off the highs? So Valiant is going to need to start developing its own research and development operation. And they've done some work on that, and they've, they've, rec- they've acknowledged the need to do this. But it's easier said than done. You don't just snap your fingers and make a viable pharma pipeline happen. I think that's a good place to end it. Thank you for joining us. This has been Steve Grosser with Maureen Farrell and Charlie Grant and Dana Simaluka earlier. Uh, come back next week. <laughs>